Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for announcements and discussion. You can follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at chipperish.com. Yes, and if you are a Patreon supporter, you get access to the Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where everyone is hanging out and they're sharing mm-hmm. their stories and they're supporting each other. It really is an incredible environment. Just go to patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can get access to that. And I'll tell you, it's really cool because lately people have been posting music yeah. in there and, you know, that's catnip for me. So like, oh, sure. I have, it has been so awesome to see some of the stuff that folks are sharing in that room. Yeah, so, it's been really incredible. Yeah. So thanks to everyone for the support you're giving the show and for playing along with us online. Your tweets and your comments and your graphics mean so much to us. So if you enjoy Big Strong Yes, please help us by leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app because this is the best way to help us promote the show and to help people find the show. The reading we'll be discussing today is Big Magic Part 5, Trust, Does It Love You? to Devotion to Inquisitiveness. And next week's episode, the final episode of Big Magic, aside from the finale, is uh, Part 5, Trust, The Scavenger Hunt through Divinity, and then the conclusion. So we're going to just finish up the book next week. And that is kind of exciting. Go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when. And then the following week, we will have our Big Magic finale, and we would love to hear from you about your experiences reading Big Magic. So you can email a recording from your phone to us at bsy at chipperish.com, or just call the hotline and leave a message at 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447. Tell us what you've learned or what what you've created or what you've come back to again with your creativity after all these years, but we really would love to hear your voices in the finale episode so please get in touch or if you just really are not comfortable sharing your voices then send us some text that we can read for you but we really want to share your stories with us on this finale yeah i love hearing the voices and, Me too. and especially when it's somebody we haven't heard before and you hear them and it just adds this whole element this whole like depth to who they are and who you imagine them to be so absolutely um we'd really really absolutely love to hear from you guys all right so that moves us into our homework section kelly how'd your homework go so daily rituals are still in my mind mm-hmm. um i'm not going to say that i have cracked this egg but making soundtracks for the writing has helped Um, playing songs to evoke certain feelings or certain scenes or to get a sense of character that's helping me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm rebelling against like playing the same soundtrack over and over again. Yeah. But but I do, I had this really cool moment the other day. I I think I made it rain. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. And this is (laughs) this really cool moment of magic. So it was Missouri weather is drunk all the time and it makes no <laughs> sense. Like there's no rhyme or reason to it. So it's November. It was hot as hell. My air conditioner broke yet again. And, and I was miserable and just having a bad day anyway. And it was hot. And so it was like, 
just playing this power music and I was so I was doing a little bit of ridiculous dancing to try to make myself feel better and, mm-hmm. and trying to evoke this music for this story that I was writing that was like full of thunder and, and trying to see, can I really make myself feel the way I feel during a thunderstorm through music? Mm-hmm. So I was like blasting this and discovering different kind of music and like Imagine Dragons was like coming through my whole house and all this kind of stuff I hadn't listened to before. And I swear to you, two hours later, this massive thunderstorm broke out and was like <laughs> raining down over my house. And I was looking around going, you know what? This could be a coincidence. This could be right. big magic. And I think today, I'm uh-huh. going to say I made it rain. <laughs> you made it rain. What's the narrative that feeds your soul? I mean, if there's anything that we get out of big magic, I think that that's the thing. Plus, like, rain dances are a thing. Like, right? hasn't that been something that people have done traditionally through yeah. the ages? They do a dance and they make it rain. It is very possible that those people knew and understood something that we just don't. Yeah. So it was sort of ridiculous, but I felt pretty That's damn pretty mighty. Cool. So I was just like gonna, it. you know, yeah, it was awesome. But um, but I need candles um mm-hmm. for the writing too. So you know, and NaNoWriMo is is good. My word count is behind, but I figure I'll catch up, and that's okay because I'm still writing. And even if yeah. I'm just doing it in small, you know, small snatches here and there, yeah, I like the story. And there's no rhyme or reason. It's completely out of order, and I have no idea what happens. And like, I have no plot, <laughs> no plan, but I'm having fun. That's okay. So, you don't have to have that right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Um, and playing the piano is so much fun, even though, mm-hmm. like. My skill level right now is really about where it was when I was probably six years old, (laughs) but I can still read enough music. I can still read enough notes. I can still use a metronome like, and there's only one way to get better, you know? And so practicing just in 10 or 15 minute sessions is doable and it's okay. And I can laugh at myself for being terrible and (laughs) the neighbors are not complaining yet. So Oh, that's so, wonderful. So it's I'm okay. So <laughs> You've got your piano. That is so cool. Yes, it's so it. cool. It's <laughs> so cool. So what about you? How was your homework? Oh, God. Well, my homework was to follow the shiny thing. Yes. So, you know, I did that. Um, I spent the extra hour from daylight savings time reorganizing my kitchen. So that was really fun. (laughs) I spent the extra hour sleeping. Oh, (laughs) man. That's not a bad use of that time. No, but I mean, it it was nice. I haven't made time for things that aren't work or the kids. The house is a complete wreck. It's just a mess, you know. So it was nice to kind of spend that time, um you know, tending to my environment, because I think environment really matters, you know. Um, I've also been, you know, taking care of myself a little bit more. I've started Mm -hmm. drinking more water, properly hydrating. I'm starting to exercise again. And it's not because I'm like forcing myself to do it the way it has always been traditionally through time, right? You know, I've always had to force myself to do that stuff. Um, It's just, I I feel the impulse to do that. And so I'm following that shiny thing, you know, and it's it's leading me into these places that are actually much healthier. I've been caught up in a lot of more self-destructive habits um, in the last few months. And so it's nice to see myself kind of leaving that behind and moving into something that's, that's better for me. And so, and kind of feel things shifting. I feel my natural shape kind of coming back a little bit more. And I think that that's been really good. Um, 
I want to get back on the creative horse, though. Like, I really want to get back into the book. But I'm going to continue following the shiny things and not forcing myself to do stuff that I'm not ready to do. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm still working through all the stuff. My energy is slowly, slowly coming back. But, you know, I have to recognize the fact that I'm healing. And the way that you heal from, you know, like a physical injury isn't just to throw yourself back in and force yourself. You have to wait until you're ready, mm-hmm. you know, until you're healed enough that you can do that stuff. And I think that's the same thing with with all this emotional trauma, you know, mm, that I'm yeah. just, I'm just moving into it as I'm ready to do it. So, uh, so that's where I am. You know, I followed the shiny thing Good. and, uh, and I think that I'm, I'm tending to my environment. I'm getting the house in order. Um, and I think that that's part of what I need to kind of get back into that space. I think it's wonderful. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a point where you're procrastinating, where you're just like avoiding doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and I always like accuse myself of that, of course, because I always choose the narrative that's most negative to me. Right. Um, <laughs> but right now, like I recognize that I am, I am still healing from this thing. I'm going to be healing from it for a long time. And a lot of my energy has to go into that. Yes, it does. So I have to allow for that. Absolutely. So I'm allowing for it. Good. Well, speak. Speaking of this, this narrative thing, I'm about to throw you under the bus and make you do your reflection first because we've, oh, okay. we've been talking about this a lot. So <laughs> how are your reflections this week, Lonnie? <laughs> well, my reflections, believe it or not, we're still about this narrative thing. I mean, it's, it's a nice idea, mm-hmm. but it is so hard to see things differently. It is so hard to look at the world through a different lens from what you're used to, you know? And my first narrative is always, well, I'm an asshole or I'm an idiot or I'm useless. And I find it really hard to not do that. Um, That is a a really huge challenge for me. And the thing that you and I have been doing for each other, which I really enjoy (laughs) and would love to see all of y'all do that for each other, too. I know in the Discord chat, you probably will. Um, Whenever one of us falls into this, like, I'm an idiot, I'm an asshole, blah, 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 blah. The other one (laughs) has started to say, huh, is that the narrative that feeds your soul? (laughs) Yeah, it was so hard for me when you just said those words out loud. Like, my knuckles are over here white because I'm like, girl, don't... It's so funny because when you say it to the other person, like when I say it to you, I'm like, yeah, that's good. Is this the narrative that feeds your soul, Dr. Jones? And when you say it to me, I get so pissed off. And I'm like, no, no, she's right. But God damn it. Damn it. You know? I, know. <laughs> I know. I know. So like, I really have to develop this skill set. But it is it is really funny because you and I have been saying that to each other for the last few days. It's <laughs> so freaking hard. It is really hard. But when you say it to me, don't you feel like, oh, that's right. This is not the narrative. This feeding your soul. Like you feel like you're on to something. You know, when I say it to you, I'm like, oh, we're on to something here. This is good. You know, and when you say it to me, I'm like, screw you, bitch. I'm an asshole. I can see you do it in two seconds. And I'm like, what kind of fucking narrative are you telling, girl? Exactly. (laughs) So it's, it's fun to be going through that with a partner, you know, yes. <laughs> somebody who's going through it with you, um, because it is it is so incredibly frustrating. So that is what I have been reflecting on for the past week. How about you? What have you been doing? Well, you've given me no choice but to reflect on the same damn thing. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the idea of a truly generous narrative about myself is kicking mm-hmm. my ass. Because mm-hmm. it is so easy to say to you, Lonnie, yeah. is that the narrative <laughs> that feeds your soul? Like, so you know so easy and, and in the text stream there's like this pause i know 
pause that I love. <laughs> it know, is. Like, I know oh, what you're yelling at me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because it's the same thing. But it's so funny because it feels so good to say it to somebody else. <laughs> because, like, and it's 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 good hearted. Like, I think that it, the reason why it's easy for you to say to me is because you're like, you want me to have the narrative that feeds my soul. And I want you to have the narrative that feeds your soul. But when you say that to me, I'm like, no, it's not the narrative that feeds my soul. It's the narrative that's true. Wait, I know. You know. When you say it to me, I'm like, what the fuck? No, this is just true. <laughs> like, damn it. And I, I feel know. like I need like a scorecard or something because, I mean, God almighty. I know. So, and, it's and crazy. It, but you ding me on it so fast I like I'm like <laughs> holy crap because like my first narrative is you know I am unlovable I am selfish I am ugly or something equally fun like along those lines and <laughs> you snap me back on it so quickly that like I don't even realize I'm doing it and I the, know me either the, like the deep subconscious level of it it, yeah. it runs like the lines run as deep as the scars on my body, and I know. like learning how to rewire that shit is hard as holy hell. <laughs> it so. really is, and I don't know. Like it's so it's so good that we both have this exact reciprocal relationship with this. Oh yeah, you know because it's like because I'm seeing it from both sides. I'm seeing it from outside, and I'm seeing it from inside. You know, yeah. and if it, or I was just seeing it from the one place, I don't know if I'd be able to like. I don't know, get that whole picture. But now when you say it to me, I flip and I just remember what it's like when I say it to you. <laughs> but it's also, it's also such a fun thing to say to somebody because it really is when you say, is that the narrative that feeds your soul? It's like, <laughs> you damn feel, it. <laughs> like, and I feel like such an asshole when I say it. But, <laughs> well, and, but the thing is, it's like when you call me out on it and, yeah. and I'm like, Damn it. I know. Like, <laughs> you don't recognize that's what you're doing. No, you don't. And, and it's so clear. Yeah. It's so clear to someone else. Yeah. You know, and so anyway, but I was going to say <laughs> to you and the friends who are helping me with this, uh, I love you and <laughs> I'm going to need a whole lot more help. <laughs> This this ain't gonna be a one week. Oh my <laughs> god! I know this is really hard. And uh, you know, as I go through reading this book with Elizabeth Gilbert, I just think she does this without like this is just naturally what she does. Oh, and I she's know. been doing this her whole life. And God, I don't know. Like it's so so hard to do that and to and to bring up the entitlement, which of course everybody is entitled to the narrative that feeds their soul. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, as, as long as it's a narrative that doesn't like you know, hurt other people. Like, right. you know, I mean, you, you know, you want to make sure that you're being, but, but I mean, just when you're talking about the narrative for you, yeah. you know, um, yeah, it's, it's so challenging. And, and reading big magic has been like this instruction manual because you see her do it over and over and mm -hmm. over and over again, you know? Um, and I still, we're almost at the end and I still have not got this down. No, me neither. I'm like, I still don't even know when I'm doing it, except I feel like I get zapped and then I'm like, Oh damn it. Right. I did it again. I so know. I know. <laughs> But I can see you do it. I can almost it's see so you do clear. it before you finish the sentence. It is so clear <laughs> with you. I'm like, that is not a narrative that feeds your soul, Dr. Jones. You know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason um, there's a pause when you. <laughs> it's a ch I know, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to type out a response and then I'm going to read my response. I'm like, I better delete that response. I'm delete that. <laughs> That's not a nice thing to say to my this friend. Is, this is the <laughs> shitty first draft. <laughs> 
That's a shitty first draft of my answer to that exactly. fucking question. <laughs> oh my no, god, it's hilarious. I don't think I'm doing my best. Do you think exactly. I'm doing my best? <laughs> oh my god, I swear it's crazy. It's, it's so crazy, funny. but I mean, out of all this stuff about creativity, like it's this thing. It's that struggle with the narrative that you choose. Yeah, you know. Well, and it is yeah. amazing because. Half the time, well, three-fourths, well, <laughs> nine-tenths of the time, <laughs> it's, it's not in the context of my creativity. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but the connection between the way you see yourself and the way yeah. that you see yourself as a creative being, I mm-hmm. think, are just so tightly intertwined that there's no point trying to say, okay, well, I'm super wonderful as a creative person. But as a woman, I'm just, you know, completely, <laughs> as totally a human screwed being, up. I'm like, a I'm fucking like, mess, right? Right. I'm just a complete mess. So, like, I, I just, I see it as I'm just going to be, I need help on both sides, so I might as well right. work on it at the same time. <laughs> Oh, my God. But, guys, I'm telling you, if you guys are struggling with this, find a partner who can yes. text you. <laughs> Somebody so who's brave enough, oh. though. Yes. Who's <laughs> brave enough to say, is that the narrative that feeds your soul? Because <laughs> it's such a ridiculous I'm thing. Like, yeah. It has to be those exact words. It does. And it has to be in moments when you don't want to hear that shit. When you don't want to hear it. <laughs> like, oh my God, I know. I know. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. It really is. God. All right. Well, let's move into the reading. All so, right, Kelly, then. let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Does it love you? <laughs> Oh, man. Did you struggle um, with this as much as I did? I swear to God, like, you know how every week I'm like, I didn't resist anything. It was all great. This week, I resisted most of this. I know. It's really funny. So yeah. I'm actually going to let you take this one first because mm-hmm. my response to this shocked me. Okay. No, well, that'll be interesting. All right. Well, I'll do my little boring response first. <laughs> bo- Lonnie. I didn't. Is, is that, that the narrative that feeds your soul? Do you really think your response is boring? No, I'm just joking. All right. Anyway, so (laughs) the idea of turning this question around from do you love it, this thing that you're pursuing to does it love you is, is weird to me. And I mean, I've always stopped short at this every time I've read the book and I can feel myself just kind of shut off when Mm -hmm. this question comes up. I mean, because my answer in general to does anything love me? You know, it's always, <laughs> always no. I'm, I'm sitting at my desk and my hand is actually in the air. I'm raising my hand in solidarity with you. I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing is, like, it's not, it's not a deliberate thing. I'm not like trying. It's just on an instinctual level. You know, like, like I know that my kids love me. They're very loving mm-hmm. to me. I know my friends love me. You know, but I think that. I don't know, like the idea of the writing loving me mm-hmm. is something that A, I've never really thought about, um, you know, but B, like, does it matter? You know, like, <laughs> what does this, what does this mean? Um, you know, and I mean, the whole thing, I think it's a neat idea, but then there's this point where it just, it goes too far. On page 202, she says, 
she has to introduce them to the concept that they might actually be loved in return by the very entity that they themselves revere, by nature itself, by the very entity that created them. Because otherwise, it's never going to work. Because otherwise, nobody, not the earth, not the students, not any of us, will ever benefit. That feels like such a weird blanket statement. Like, so what you're saying is no one benefits from environmental science unless <laughs> the scientists believe that nature loves them. Like, that's where I shut down completely to this. I was like, this doesn't even make sense. This sounds like a fever dream to me. Did, <laughs> did, you, did you understand? Because I feel like I'm missing something. Did you get this? So it's really funny and incredible to me that you just use that choice of words. Yeah. Because I swear to you for the last week, I have been having fever dreams. <laughs> and I'm serious. And yeah. Like it makes me question my sanity as an academic reading Aww. this book. I'm like, mm -hmm. I think Elizabeth Gilbert is trying to drive me mad. Right. It, <laughs> it's like, okay, you open up to creativity. And apparently when your brain looks, works like mine, you open up all the way. Like, you don't open up a little, you just go completely uh -huh. and open up to all of it. And then you go yeah. like that, you know, it's like, what? Okay, all of it. Sure. Why not? Mm -hmm. So on um, page 202, you know, she said ancient yeah. people were in a conversation with Mother Nature. And the first time I read this, I completely scoffed at it. And yeah. the second time I read this, I thought, well, the idea of being loved by the earth is a romantic notion. And mm -hmm. I scoffed at it again. But this time, <laughs> hey, it spoke to you this time. Yes. If I'm being Good. like really honest, yeah, there was like this tinged scent of divinity, like on the edges of the story for me. And it made me want to believe it. Oh, that's awesome. Because if I can trust the universe, uh -huh. you know, and be loved by the universe, then that is a big magic sort of divinity that speaks to me on a very deep level. Right. But I don't understand it. And I don't see it clearly, you know, but I would want that kind of love and trust between me and the magic of the universe that made me. But I think yeah. part of that may be that I'm, you know, slowly but surely losing my mind to this crazy <laughs> swirl of creative big magic. Well, I mean, you know, here's, here's, here's what doesn't like. The idea that nobody benefits from environmental science unless scientists believe that the earth loves them. Like, that's, I think, where I fall off. And you know what? I got to say, ESF is like a stone's throw <laughs> from where I go to work every day. Like, I have been in those buildings. I've probably walked, you know, I down campus with, these, with this woman. I guess it just how far but... you want to take it. So, like, if... Right. if if I kind of want to go to her office and be like, can you talk to me about this yeah. idea? If <laughs> like, love's was... not there, uh -huh. right? If love's not there... And the love of the thing is what is going to fuel the ideas that are going to bring the research and the breakthroughs and the love isn't there, then what's going to bring the ideas? I mean, I guess it depends on how far you're willing to follow Gilbert down the rabbit hole. Right. But I mean, you love the thing and that's great. And like the idea of does writing love you? You know, like, I, I guess, I guess when she anthropomorphizes, like yeah. when she's like, you know, your inspiration, your genius that comes and jumps, like, does that thing love you? Does that thing want to dance with you? As an anthropomorphized thing, like, I get that, you know, mm -hmm. a scientist saying this to her environmental students and Elizabeth Gilbert saying, well, nobody benefits unless they, <laughs> that's where I, that's where I'm like, no, like, that's weird. So I don't know, like, I, 
I I like the 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 esoteric idea, you know, yeah. when she goes out there, but when she brings it into this space and is like nobody benefits, there nothing good can happen unless you believe the writing loves you. Like, I don't I don't get that. Like. Uh, uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe no, I'm just shut no, down to the I'm idea of anything you, loving read, me. I've read this book like a dozen times. Yeah. And it wasn't until last night's reading that I thought, okay. All right. I'm well, I'm glad. I think you're making to consider progress. This. I think you're making progress. You're I making think progress I'm, I haven't made because I'm still looking at I, that and going, I don't know eh. that progress might be the right word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you that might be right. You are cracking open like a coconut, baby. I don't know that that might be what we might want to call this. <laughs> and I hate being, I hate this space, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a difference between tacit and explicit knowledge. Right. And, and this tacit space that's messy and I can't fully articulate something. Right. And it feels like something I could possibly understand. Like, I, I hate this. <laughs> I don't. I can't. Or, it I, cannot be footnoted, and I don't like it. Damn it. <laughs> yes. I can feel it, but I can't explain it, and it drives right. me crazy. No, I completely understand that. Yeah. You know, because that's that's the, the space between. Like, there's the, the intellectual understanding of something and then the emotional understanding of something. And I think that you are experiencing this in a divine way. And the idea of, like, the universe loving you. You know, and all that, like that kind of stuff, I, I can, I can get behind. I think it's just the specific context in which she chose. Yeah, <laughs> it was, a, it was to place this mm-hmm. in a scientific concept, a context. Which, but I guess I could see a scientific teacher presenting it that way to a student. Well, I mean, I love the idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. a great idea. And I'm sure that it's, you know, yeah. but I really want to, I want to just walk over to this woman's office and sit down and be like, okay, explain this to me. You should do it. You should totally do it. <laughs> yes. I should stalk Elizabeth Gilbert's friend. <laughs> yes. You really should. That would be amazing. Be like, We're doing this thing. Oh, you know what I should have done? I should have had an interview. I should have gotten her for an interview for the show. That would have been great. Oh, my God. Do you have any idea how much that just lit me up? Oh. Yes. As I'm sitting here laughing at the idea and, like, I, I feel, again, you know, this idea of, like, okay, you can choose a narrative here mm-hmm. that is fulfilling and that has divinity and all that yep. kind of stuff. And I'm choosing instead to mock it. I feel like the person who comes out like not well in this is me. No, not at all. I feel the one who's being a ridiculous romantic in this. And it's, uh, no, it's silly that. for me. But... I love that. And the thing is, is like I'm usually the ridiculous romantic and you're usually the hardcore, you know. But yeah, so um, so let's move on to worst girlfriend ever. What did you think of that? <laughs> okay, so I wrote two sentences for this. Yes, one I write because I love falling into writing. Yeah. Two, if you didn't get laid in high school, you really need to get over it and stop blaming your art. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean my thing is I don't particularly care for the somewhat misogynistic idea of writing being a cock tease and that that's the context yes. we're putting this into. I mean really. Like yeah, I don't know why I bounced so hard off of almost that. everything in Me this too. reading. Did not like it. Yeah, and that that idea of, you know, writing being the the girlfriend. I mean, and she was, you know, 
she was saying that this was a dumb way yeah, to put it. You know, absolutely. so I mean, her argument was that this is a dumb way to put it. Right. The idea of writing being that girl who, you know, dates people that aren't you. And so somehow she owes it. It has this real friend zone kind of stink to it. You mm-hmm. know, this entitlement that like this, you are entitled to this girl liking you. And yeah. when she decides to like the football player instead, then suddenly that's her fault and she's misbehaved. So I don't know, like that whole thing, I bounced hard off of that too. I don't yeah, know why. I, I, I don't know like if it's it. my mood no, or what it I is. I didn't me. like I it either. This, this, most of this reading, I just had such issues with. Well, I think she, she was stretching out for some big kind of metaphors here. And yeah. th- a lot of it was sort of wrapped up in this. If you want something you can't have or you're, you know, it, it, it was just stretching it too much. And, yeah. and for me, I'm like, if that girl you know, is like, whatever, get the fuck over it, grow up and go to a bar and get laid and write because damn, exactly. life you is know? short. And like, yeah, and it's such a whiny way to it present was the whole whiny. thing. Like you're entitled yeah. to that. Like you're entitled to like, no, you, you do, you go after the girl. And if she doesn't like you, then you go after a different girl. Right. Like just let it go. Right. You're not entitled to that. Right. And this that girl, girl did not promise you anything. Like that particular girl is never going to be nice to you anyway. Right. So, like, move on. Like, I just, yeah, I, two sentences, that was all I got. I didn't like it. Yeah, I it. don't know. The, the metaphor itself didn't really work for me. Mm-mm. So then we move into Addicted to Suffering. Yes. What did you think of this? So I agree that there does seem to be kind of this cultural myth of the tormented artist. Yes. You know, but mm-hmm. I particularly have never liked it. And, and it mm-hmm. has always struck me as both violent and male. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, like, as mm-hmm. a writer, I don't particularly want to break spines or kill my darlings. Right. But I think as a woman, I've always been a little more afraid of the cultural myth that seems to be drawn between vaginas, high creativity, and insanity. Mm-hmm. Because I think if I had been born in another time period with the brain and rebel nature that I have, my chances of being institutionalized would have been pretty damn good. Right. So, like, <laughs> worry like I just Uh, I see it much more of how mm -hmm. like not this I think there's a certain privilege that comes with the ability to be a tormented artist because if you're stuck in the corner you know sucking on your bottle of Jack Daniels somebody else is doing your laundry and cooking your dinner yeah but I think creativity has been used as a weapon against women for a very very long time and Mm -hmm. we don't even have a name for that like we have the tormented artist in all caps Right. But we don't really have a name for the, you know, what happens to the Sylvia Plath of the world and, and mm-hmm. you know, to some of these other things. And and I've always been a little more fearful of that side of the thing, which I don't even mm-hmm. have a name for the metaphor for. Yeah. So reading about this, this addicted to suffering or this tormented artist just to me was like, I don't need that. I don't buy into it. I really think it's a privileged kind of silly Right. Because mm-hmm. if you're behaving that way, then someone is supporting you and letting you. Exactly. Well, do you think it's a male thing? Do you think it's a creativity comes from, you know, an essentially kind of emotionally connected space, you know, and that know. men use the tormented artist as an excuse to access that because, you know, traditionally Western culture, they have been expected to be, to not be soft and not be in touch with with those deep 
feelings, you know? Maybe, maybe. I don't is think that, that it's it is something... Because the term artist is typically kind of a, a very masculine Yeah, you and know, I don't archetype. think it's something inherently flawed mm-hmm. within men. I think it's just a cultural stereotype yeah. that it's easier for men to take up than women um, just yeah, because right, of the way women don't have the option. Women don't, you know, really have that much of a choice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that it it comes across as male because men have traditionally been the only ones with the resources mm-hmm. to exploit it. I don't think it's right. necessarily inherently male. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. What did you get out of that section? Um, I mean, basically the same thing. I hit on the violent metaphors for writing. You know, mm-hmm. that I thought I when she when she brought that up, I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, you've heard open up a vein on the page. You've heard kill your darlings. Break the spine of a book is actually something that you do to a book. Like when yeah. you open a book, you break the spine mm-hmm. of it. So, I mean, that to me seems like a, a more normal metaphor. Yeah. Um, but uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I got what she was what she was talking about. The one thing was when she was talking about. Oscar Wilde. She's talking about all these, you know, tormented artists. And then she said, Oscar Wilde calls it a long, lovely suicide. And it almost feels like, you know, Oscar Wilde was pathologically ironic. Like, never said anything straightforward. And it felt to me like she was misreading the way that he would have used that. But that was just, you know, that's just honestly a tiny, tiny petty thing because her greater point exists. Right. You know, that that it is, we use language of torment and torture for, you know, for writers and for creatives in general, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that's the thing. I was just like, well, it sounds to me like, you know, Oscar Wilde is making fun of the people who do that I, when he I says that. I always tend to read Oscar Wilde as a smartass, so. Yeah, he's, he always is. <laughs> So, I mean, maybe he was, I haven't seen the context in which he wrote that. So maybe he was actually, you know, being sincere when he wrote it. But I, I've very rarely read anything from Oscar Wilde that didn't have a twist in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then that brings us to the cautionary tale. Right. So what did she think of this? Um, you know, on page 206, she says to suggest that nobody ever made valuable art unless they were in active emotional distress is not only untrue, it's also kind of sick. And I was completely with her with this. Yes. You know, I mean, I think that that's absolutely, absolutely true. And, you know, she had that friend who had been told that she wasn't suffering enough. And so she, you know, put this book off and didn't write it because she felt like it wasn't hard enough or it wasn't tormenting her enough, you know? And I mean, all of that is bullshit. You know, I mean, it really, really is. It is not about how much you suffer in creating the thing. And a lot of times people play up the suffering because they feel like that's what they should be doing, you know. Um, But that's not necessarily where the art is, you know. And so, and I mean, her cautionary tale is don't throw away years of your life because some idiot told you you weren't suffering enough, you know, in in your creativity. And uh, and I appreciate that story. And so, you know, I mean, I I agreed with this and I thought, you know, it made sense. What did you think? So this lit me on fire with rage. Yes, well, every I can, of single course. part of me, right? Because on on page two hundred seven, you know, she said a, a writing professor told his student, "Unless you are emotionally uncomfortable while you are writing, you will never produce anything of value." Mm-hmm. And and like literally, like I mean, I think I scorched the walls. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. this kind of abuse of power is a yeah. betrayal of trust, and it happens far too often well it happened to you i mean you had that story oh yeah but like when you're in a position of teaching mm-hmm. in it and especially in a creative or like an intimately developmental space yeah teaching adults something that will change them as people like mm-hmm. that is a sacred trust 
Yeah. And it is your job to see what they need and to guide them and to never hurt them. And right. what that teacher said here, it, it kind of violated every kind of pedagogical trust that possibly exists. Yeah. Because teachers are supposed to give and that teacher took away. Mm-hmm. And I would like to find him. <laughs> And I would very much like to track him down right? Um, and and have a conversation that may or may not involve, you know, weaponry. Um, <laughs> but, but then I, I did like on page 208, she said, heaven forbid anyone should enjoy their chosen vocation. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, because the thing that I'm learning from Elizabeth Gilbert is that when it comes to creativity, the questions that I should be asking are, what fascinates you, what brings you to life, what gives you joy, Mm -hmm. you know, which just makes me constantly want to ask, what do you want? Right. You know, what do you Mm -hmm. want? Because if it's your vocation, you should enjoy it like crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really like that idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's a really strong, you know, thing that we need to come to, you know, and this, I think is part of what all of this is about. Yeah. You know, it's just that, there's no reason why you shouldn't love it, mm-hmm. you know, why you shouldn't come to it, loving it and wanting it and, and being really happy to, to have this opportunity, you know? Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I think that that's really good. Then we move into the teaching of pain. Well, you know? I actually like that heading because if I could find that teacher yeah, and the teaching of pain would be a great, would be a great follow up for that. <laughs> yes, right? absolutely. <laughs> no, I think it's good. What did you think of this part? So this was actually a painful section for me to read um, because I think a few variables rearranged in a few life equations and I could have ended up down one of these dark roads. Yeah. Um, But as it is, I have suffered plenty in my life. So Mm -hmm. bring on the art. Right. But (laughs) like as, as much as I love Elizabeth Gilbert and you know, I do. Yeah. um, On page 211, she was quoting, you know, Rilke and she said, yeah, from one of his poems, if my devils are to leave me, I'm afraid my angels will take flight as well. Mm-hmm. And she saw that line as elegantly rendered, but also emotionally warped. Mm-hmm. And maybe you just can't come after Rilke in my presence. <laughs> but <laughs> I read that line very differently. Well, how did you read it? Well, we all have lightness and darkness in us. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not about holding on to suffering so much as it is holding on to the things that give us our pathways into empathy. Mm-hmm. Because my towerings and my mistakes and my demons have made me a better person. Right. You know, and I can't speak for Rilke, but that's what's true for me. And so if I let go of all of that and only hold on to the fluttery light and the angels, I let go of my ability mm-hmm. to to emotionally connect when someone is in need or to have that empathy or to understand the dark side of, of what people are suffering or what they need. And I don't think that yeah. that means... I'm holding on to suffering for the sake of creativity, or I'm trying to be some kind of tormented artist. I think it adds depth to my perception of, you know, humanity, and I would not Mm -hmm. want to let that go. So, you know, the way you're reading it is, is to not forget, you know, that darkness, you know, and she's reading it as hold on to your suffering. Yep. I think you're right. I think that, I think that I'm I'm coming down with you on this. Um, And there's a lot in all of this that I've kind of I've hit on that a little bit that that she seems to be conflating some things that I'm not sure you know are always connected you know that that Mm -hmm. there is a certain amount of suffering 
that people experience just by being human, you know, and that suffering can speak to your art. You know, she is, is kind of looking at this whole thing through her own lens, you know, Mm -hmm. and why not just be light and happy because not everybody is. And you have to bring who you genuinely are to your art, you know? So, I mean, I think that there's, there's some stuff there that feels a little bit out of balance because of the way she's approaching it. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I did love like in, in on page 209, she says, what does a middle-aged man know about a teenage girl's suffering? I had probably suffered more that day at lunch than he had ever suffered in his entire lifetime. Yeah, and that I, was funny. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good, I yeah. thought that was a pretty good line. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean the, you know, the idea of, you know, people teaching this, people mm-hmm. telling, you know, writers that you haven't suffered enough. Yes. That you need to suffer more and to be to be able to access. The thing is, is that however much you have suffered is the right amount of suffering for your art. Mm-hmm. However much, you know. Um, so this, as we move into our better angels, right? Um, you know, where she keeps talking again about this tormented artist, you know, um, and about that that archetype and and what that does for you. Um, but I think that. In in general, like you need to write from a genuine place. You need yes. to write from or, or write or create in any way. I mean, we're mm-hmm. writers and, and she's a writer. So we keep going to writing. But I mean, this is really about creativity in general. And you need to be genuinely who you are. And if you are genuinely like a tormented person, then that's going to work its way into your art and into your creativity. Right. But to to play the poser you know, because you think you must be tormented. So I'm going to play this. I'm going to put on a beret, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to whatever, <laughs> drink a bottle of, of whatever and, and just go all Hemingway on it. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I think that there's a difference between the affectation of the tormented artist and somebody who uses their suffering in their art. I think so, too. And you I know. think there's a difference between suffering from difficult emotions and being an asshole. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can go through periods of depression or you can suffer difficult emotions and still try to be a good person. Yeah. You know, or still try to to be the best you can and still use that in your creativity in ways that works for you. Um, And I do agree with not allowing anyone to behave with the asshattery of the tormented artist. Right. Um, And I, I did like kind of what she said on page 214. Um, what I've seen already of pain is plenty. Thank you. And I do not raise my hand and ask for any more of it. And I was like, amen, sister. Yeah, <laughs> I've had enough. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Definitely not ask for any more. But I think if I was given the opportunity to have it all taken away from me, I don't know that I would do that. Right. As mm-hmm. fun as that sounds, because mm-hmm. there are hard won lessons in that pain that have made me who I am. Right. And there's, there's a value to it. And also because of that pain, you're able to translate that in your art and in your creativity in a way that speaks to other people in pain. Because everybody's got pain. And I mean, the reason why we have, you know, these artistic expressions is so that we can access what makes us human. And that's part of the spectrum, you know, of all the emotions that make us human. On page 214, she says, during my own periods of misery and instability, I've noticed that my creative spirit becomes cramped and suffocated, right? Mm -hmm. So she's talking about what so many writers who write books about writing, this is the thing that happens, is that they decide that everyone needs to work in the exact way that you do. 
Right. You know? Um, and so like, honestly, from my experience, like I've, I'm the same way that she is. Like I've noticed that, you know, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm in a really bad place, my creativity just slumps. Like it doesn't work well in that environment. For other people, that may not be the case. It, their depression may inspire them to create something that is dark, but beautiful. And that speaks to other people who are in dark places. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is that like when you're in a dark place and somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, everything's great. Just put that frown upside down and smile. <laughs> Kelly, Dr. Jones, is that the story that feeds your soul? Like, you know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not necessarily what what people need. And so I think there's a difference from being able to create art that speaks to that darkness and that torment that people experience and requiring yourself to be tormented in order to yes. create. But she is kind of going in the other way. You know, like where these teachers are like, you haven't suffered enough for your art. She's like, you're suffering too much for your art. Like how much you suffer and how much you've been through, you know, mm-hmm. that's like if you're if you're putting on affectation, like that's where, you know, I'm with her. Like I'm with her with the affectation. I'm with her with people who are like, oh, I must suffer more. And so they try to suffer and they try to like deliberately, you know, like the people she was talking about, like do heroin because they want to be like Charlie Parker or whatever. Right. You know, um, all of that stuff is bullshit and that's affectation. It's not genuine. But the thing is, is that your art is going to respond and your creativity is going to respond to your natural shape. Right. You know, cause right. we've talked about this, like what is your natural shape? And your natural shape, everybody's natural shape is different. Everybody's natural shape is is whatever it is for them, right? And I'm a little bit more, I think, naturally like Elizabeth Gilbert. And I, I tend to like to go towards the bright side. I tend to like to go towards funny and happy and joyous and light, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's generally where I like to be. I think that that's where my natural shape is. Not everybody's natural shape is there. And we need people to tell the dark stories. We need people who've been through that suffering who can walk us through it. I mean, that's the purpose of fiction is to allow us to process reality in a safe space, you know, in a a safe and, and wildly less complicated space than actual reality is. Actual reality is indecipherable. It's a mess. It's complicated and everything's all mixed in together and you don't know what's what. When you take something into a fictional area or into art, right, art translates that reality into something that you can comprehend. And sometimes part of that translation is that darkness and you need to be able to access it. So I I get what she's saying. For the posers and the affectation, absolutely, I'm with her. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that everybody needs to work from this place of, you know, isn't it lovely? Like, I don't think everybody needs to be there. You need to work from who you are. I agree. I think so, too. I think it just comes back to authenticity. Yes. And, and, And maybe that's because she wrote this from a place that is so authentically her. Right. Um, that some parts of it just don't align that way for me. Um, right. And and I don't think that they should like this yeah. is like when writers, I swear to God, this is why I don't recommend a lot of writing books because mm-hmm. yeah. writing books are written by people who think that they understand how everybody works. Right. You know how every writer works and they don't. They understand what works for them. 
and they've discovered what works for them. And so they're like, well, this works for me, so it's got to work for you. And that's absolutely untrue. It's not necessarily the case. Where you write from, where your process is, how you create, mm -hmm. you know, um, that is all extremely individual. And you need to find your own way. Like, I, you know, I'd love to see a writing book that says, okay, here's how you find your way yes. to who you are, that's you know. Right. Well, that's why um, I love at, when I find people who are, you know, doing different creative work, I love to just ask them a bunch of questions because yeah. the more they understand their process, the better it is for them. And understanding, you know, the more we share our processes and learn from each other and sort of take away that curtain, I yeah. think it helps everybody. And understanding other people's creativity helps me understand my own. Um, and it is really fascinating. So, yeah, it's great. But yeah. this this section, I thought kind of then took this this amazing turn for me mm -hmm. because I was I was kind of like okay I'm with her I'm with her I, I can follow this or I can resist this or whatever and then in the way that only Elizabeth Gilbert does she threw the emotional whammy down on me <laughs> like <laughs> took me down this entire other thing mm -hmm. like I mean damn like, so really? what happened? So she got to the end of this and started transitioning mm -hmm. into choose what to trust. Yeah. And on page 215, um, she started talking about kind of like why she approaches things the way she does. Mm -hmm. And she said, but that's only because of what I have chosen to trust, which is quite simply love. Love yeah. over suffering always. And I was like, that is the courage I want to have. Mm -hmm. That is the faith I want to have. And then she slams us into choose what to trust. Yes. And on page 216, then she goes into the thing that then dissolves Kelly into a little bitty ball of, Aww. you know, whimpering. So <laughs> she said, why would your creativity not love you? It came to you, didn't it? It drew itself near. It worked itself into you, asking for your attention and devotion. It filled you with the desire to make and do interesting things. Creativity wanted a relationship with you. And this was so eloquently written and evocative. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea so, so much. But it almost went in my strong challenge section. Yeah. <laughs> because, mm -hmm. of course, I can't imagine creativity or anything or anyone else being in love with me. But oh. then I could hear Lonnie in her very best mom <laughs> voice, which y'all, by the way, is fierce, <laughs> asking me, is that the best generous narrative for my soul? And so I didn't put it in the strong challenge section. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I'm basically, you know, responding to all of this in that same way. You know, I mean, it is a challenge for me, you know, like the idea that your creativity loves you, you mm -hmm. know, is, is something that, you know, it's one of these things from an intellectual perspective. Sure, I'm there. I'm with you. Like, you know, I, I got it. When I try to process that into something that that is personal to me, you know, like I just I've I've never really seen that. I've never really thought of it that way. But of course, I mean, it does make sense. Like, the, you know, it shows you. It wants to hang out with you. You know, these ideas are coming to you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when something is open to interpretation, choose the narrative that feeds your soul. What is the narrative that feeds your soul on this? Yeah. Well, is it that idea that your, your creativity is in love with you? I reckon. 
Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just had a hard time with it. But I know. I know. No, it is. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's challenging. So it was is there, really tough. Was there anything else from the choose what to trust section that you got? Um, you know, I like this. On 216, she says, when Dylan Thomas dies, there are no more Dylan Thomas poems. Oh, that yes. channel is silenced forever, terribly. I cannot imagine a universe in which creativity would possibly desire that outcome. Amen. You know, and I, that was the thing that, that spoke to me is that creativity is looking to be expressed and it wants to be expressed through you. Why would it want to torment and kill you? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that, again, you know, goes, speaks back to this, this idea of, of the tormented artist poser. Yeah. You know, that, that like I've got to, you know, do have all this torment because that is the thing that allows me to access all this stuff and blah, 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 and all that bullshit, you know, that, that your creativity does not want to torment you. However, using your suffering in your creativity is, you know, suffering that you've already had that you didn't choose, suffering that happened to you. Using that in your creativity and, and channeling that through your creativity and possibly using your creativity to heal some of it, yeah. you know, I think is incredibly valuable. So, you know, it's just, it's just this flip. Like, I don't want to say that suffering has no value in art because it does. Mm -hmm. It is not the only value. You know, art that is about suffering, grim, dark, blah, 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 is not the only stuff that has value. Absolutely not. We've gone down that road, you know, quite a bit that, you know, the only stuff that's that's good and that's quality, if it's not dark, it's not any good. And that's bullshit. Right. But, you know, but I mean, there's just like, there's this point where what she's saying can just go a little bit too far right. into territory that I don't think she intends to go into and that I really want to delineate, yes. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So then we move into stubborn gladness, mm -hmm. which I know is a phrase that you like quite a bit. I love it. And, <laughs> and I love it. I love it. And, mm -hmm. um, and I love the generous narrative example that we get here. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. on page 218, she described curiosity as a cabinet of curiosities. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, I love that so, so mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Um, and on page 219, she had this great description of this generous narrative. Mm -hmm. And she said, I choose to trust that inspiration is always nearby the whole time I'm working, trying its damnedest to impart assistance. It's mm -hmm. just that inspiration comes from another world, you see, and it speaks a language entirely unlike my own. So sometimes we will have trouble understanding each other. Oh, oh, my heart just lit up. I'm like, is that not a fantastic so narrative for that? Wonderful. It's Ugh. so wonderful. And it reminded me of the movie Arrival. Mm -hmm. Oh, I haven't is, seen that. Oh, God, it's so gorgeous mm -hmm. and so beautiful. And it's almost this exact thing. Yeah. Like, if you haven't seen Arrival, go see it because, oh, my God, I just sat there in love the whole time. Um, but this was such a beautiful illustration of this generous mm -hmm. narrative and the way that she views her creativity and the fact that it is, you know, the inspiration is they're literally trying to help her. They just yeah. don't speak the same language. And maybe mm -hmm. they're trying to get by with some hand signals. And I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah. No, I love that too. I just want to hire Elizabeth Gilbert to walk <laughs> right. through my life with me and tell me the stories. How do you think she would react to the pauses <laughs> in our text messages? <laughs> <laughs> I think that she would appreciate that we're trying. I think that she would appreciate that we're trying. And also I think that this comes I think that this comes so naturally to her. 
Yeah. You know, that she probably doesn't even realize that that's what she's doing. And maybe she does. She's very self-aware. But, you know, I mean, just like to walk through my life and maybe that's what I need. Maybe what I need is to envision a a little Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, fairy yeah. that wanders through life with me mm-hmm. and translates the events of my life into a narrative like that. There you go. You know, I choose to trust that inspiration is always nearby the whole time I'm working, trying its damnedest to impart assistance. And when it can't, it's because there's a language barrier. Right. Not because I'm an asshole, not because it hates me, not because I'm a loser and I'm never going to get this right, but because there's a little bit of a language barrier. Like, God, I know. you know, what a brilliant way to tell Mm -hmm. that story. Yeah. I mean... It's so I beautiful. love it. And I, I wish that 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 would have never I could live a thousand years and I never <laughs> would have gotten that without her. Like, that's the thing. Like the way her mind works to tell these stories mm-hmm. in a beautiful way, yeah. in a lovely and generous way, not just generous to herself, but generous to the universe, mm-hmm. generous yeah. to the world, generous to the world that she builds around herself every day. Right. Like, God, I know. I just, I want that skill set and I don't know how to build it because I'm not good at it. I'm not either, but I love it when I see it. (laughs) No, it's so good. And the thing is, you know, we're coming up on this idea of trust Mm -hmm. as well. And trust is, God, such an issue for me. I mean, every time I see the word, and let's not forget, this is part five, trust. I mean, it's all through (laughs) the whole thing, right? Every time I see the word, I respond with this like, almost visceral resistance well of course you do baby you know yeah it's just it's 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 something i'm I'm really struggling with. just be glad she didn't have a section called love i was just i got off easy (laughs) (laughs) that's all it's okay you're doing a hard word (laughs) all right so then we move into the next thing which is choose your delusion which is exactly everything that we've been saying, Mm -hmm. which is actually probably a a much more elegant way of saying, is this the narrative that feeds your soul? (laughs) Is choose your delusion. I'm going to stop swapping that at the end of the tech. Choose your delusion, baby. Choose your delusion. (laughs) Choose your delusion carefully. What delusion are you going to choose? Which delusion do you want? But actually, I like this. Yeah. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, as a qualitative researcher, I know that like no two people experience the world the same way. Yeah, absolutely. We all choose the lens through mm-hmm. which we view the world. And epistemology is shaped by your unique perspective and your experience. So why not choose the lens that speaks to what we love? Right. I know. That sounds so simple. <laughs> Unless you're me. Like, and yet I've been struggling with this. it this whole time. Every week we come back to this podcast and every week I say narrative that feeds your soul. And every week I go out into the world and I still am looking through this highly like self-destructive lens. Yeah, but actually you're making all kind of crazy progress. I'm just like really? not trying to point it out to you too much because I don't want to like freak you out with the actual amount of progress that you've made. But you're really doing beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. I don't see that, of course, because I'm looking through my crappy ass lens. Yes, but, but is that the narrative that feeds that your soul? <laughs> <laughs> Choose your delusion, baby. All right. So next is the martyr versus the trickster. And I loved this whole yes, thing. I loved, I loved this whole every thing. bit of it. Yes, you know? I loved um, it too. 
when she goes back and forth, the martyr says this, the trickster says this, mm-hmm. and it's so brilliantly illustrated. Um, and and I love the way too that she she gave so many examples of that. Yes, you know, me too. and it was it was so. I mean, I honestly could have that like just that page like up on my wall to look at all the yes. time. Like, you know, who do you want to be? You want to be a martyr? You want to be a trickster? And not just who do you want to be? God, who do you want to be around? Yes, martyrdom doesn't help anybody for Christ's no, sake. Like, martyrs are assholes. Be you know, just God. We all need to be a little mm-hmm. more trickster with ourselves mm-hmm. and with each mm-hmm. other. And you know, I've always loved Bugs Bunny. Damn it! Yeah, like, it's, it's absolutely. Fun. And I, and I really liked it when she talked about the trust. And I actually had not remembered this part. And when I got to this, I was shocked, and I was like, "Oh my God, the trickster trusts himself." Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the trickster also trusts the universe. Yes. And it was like, holy yes. cow, wow, wow. Okay. Kelly's got a lot more to learn. Yes. Right. <laughs> I know. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trust the universe, uh, baby. I know. I don't trust the universe. <laughs> I'm trying. I am trying to learn. I'm trying. Right. I, I just can't even imagine the shift in in perception. Mm-hmm. That it would require for me to trust the universe. But yeah, but mm-hmm. I, but there's definitely something there. There's definitely something to that. You know, uh, on page 224, he trusts that the universe is in constant play and specifically that it wants to play with him. Mm-hmm. Like that idea that the universe is in constant play, a state of play. Yeah. I love that idea. I, I don't see it. Like, I don't, again, like it's one of these things, you know, I look at it and I think, yeah, this is great, but I can't quite wrap my mind around it. I know. I look at it and I want it to be true. Right. I just don't have that much playfulness in me, but I want it to be true. The universe in play. But I mean, this is the thing though. Like if you can choose the reality and you can, we all do. We all choose our reality. We may not think that we do, but we do. You and I are specifically and deliberately choosing a reality that diminishes us. You know, like when we fight against, is that the narrative that feeds your soul? <laughs> like, that's what we're doing. We're deliberately ever chosen to, to deliberately diminish myself in my life. All right, I'll let that go. I don't know Um, what you're talking about. I have no idea. I have no idea idea what you're talking about. I know. But I mean, to choose choose the narrative that the universe is at play. Yeah, I know. You know, and that it's just a game. Well, and then we actually kind of moved into this beautiful example of the universe being at play. Yeah. Because we get this a good trickster move. Um, with the story of Brene Brown writing Rising Strong. Writing Rising Strong. Right? I know. This and is was, how this she wrote like... the book that we just did. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, when I brought these three books to you, like, first of all, yeah. these three books came to me, this mm-hmm. Rising Strong and Big Magic and Year of Yes. And they they kind of wrapped me up in this crazy hurricane of craziness and changed my life. And <laughs> I became a disciple and made everybody read them. And then I made you read them. And yes, what mm-hmm. I did not know is that when you make Lonnie Diane Rich do something magical, she's going to make you podcast about it. And then <laughs> that changed my life. And <laughs> you are never going to make me read a book again. Oh, never. <laughs> and then, but like to come back and see this now, like and to, to read this story after mm-hmm. having done Rising Strong, 
song with mm-hmm. you. This was so magical yeah. for me um, to hear this story of, of Brene Brown tapping into this trickster magic. Oh, it wasn't. It was you brilliant. Know, and it was exactly so the kind of. It's such a wonderful example of how to bring that that trickster playbook into your creativity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? yep. and, that, and that just because like Brene Brown had suffered and had written these books in the way that she thought they were supposed to be written, you know, and was going through all. And then, but then what she did was she found her natural shape mm-hmm. and she used that to make that easier. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that you can not just not just that you need to work with your natural shape, like genuinely who you are. But when you understand who you are, I mean, really understand who you are, you can find a way to do the things that you need to do in a way that speaks to that. Mm-hmm. Your individuality. And again, brings us right back to authenticity, which yep. is the, the core value of any creative person is their authenticity. Well, and it was, so, yeah, and it was a powerful reminder for me too, because mm-hmm. I, I still fight this a lot. Yeah. And, but storytelling and speaking and collaboration are far easier for me than solitary writing. Yeah. And, and, and I knew the story of how Brene Brown had written Rising Strong, but reading it again was a really good reminder for me that mm-hmm. I know I'm happier when I'm collaborating. I know I'm happier when I am probably speaking and recording than when I'm trying to write, you right. know, solitary on the on the paper or mm-hmm. like and just like why do I keep fighting that? Why is it right. just not okay work to with work who with you who are. I am? Like I don't know. Exactly. So I, I just I loved for all the the problematic parts of this section. When I got to that story, it was like, oh God, yes. I know. Like I knew I loved this. I knew yeah. I loved this, mm-hmm. and it was so wonderful. It is. It's really good. And I just, I love the way that she worked with who she was, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than resisting it, rather than looking at who you are and the way that you are and deciding that the way that you are is wrong. Look at who you are and say, how am I going to work with this? Right. You know, this is what I have. And I think that's one of the things about the trickster is that the trickster is, is honest. Yeah. You know, like a martyr is playing a role. Yes. You know, martyr is affectation. Right. Yes. But a trickster and and it's ironic because the trickster, of course, is always tricking people with lies and deceptions and shadows and whatever. Right. But a trickster is honest with themselves. They know what the deal is. They're not pretending, you know, and I think that in order to be like a real trickster, that is the core of the trickster, not that you trick other people. But that you you work honestly with with who you are and what you're doing is you're not playing the game by the rules, the way that other people are telling you it should be done. I love that idea. Yeah. That just made me so incredibly happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's what I think that's what's at the core of the trickster is yeah. that you need to be deceptive to other people, you know, but it's that you work with what's there. And, yeah. But you can't work with what's there if you can't honestly and and realistically see what it is. And it's and you don't even necessarily have to be deceptive at all. It's just no. you have to be so unflinchingly honest with yourself that you can be playful with other people. That you can work with what's there. Like you yeah. can see things that other people won't see. You know, Emperor's New Clothes, right? I like this yeah. very much, Lonnie. No, I this think this is a good, good idea. <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's I think it's getting somewhere, right? I like it. And then we move into lighten up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, where she's talking about her story that was put in the magazine and then the magazine had to cut 30% of its, you know, inventory. And so she had to cut 30% of her story and she was faced with this choice. Yes. Do I cut the story or, you know, do I not? Um, and I mean, the thing is that um, you, what I really like about the way that she told this story is is that she, she got rid of this idea that you have to be super precious Yes. You know, about every word and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things I wrote down in my notes is don't be too precious about the work. It's like your kids. I made one. I can make another. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I mean, I like I appreciate like I like because you cannot be too precious about it. You really can't. You want it to be good. It's a, it's this paradox that she's been talking about from the beginning. You want to take it seriously. But you don't want to take it seriously, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. do the work, but then, you know, work with it however you can. And if you wrote one brilliant sentence, you can write another. You I, I like this section, too, because she was yeah. kind of gaming it. Like, can I still make it work? Yeah. Um, and on page 232, she was talking about like the final product is not really the point. She said mm-hmm. what, it, what is sacred is the time you spend on a project and what that time does to your imagination yeah. and what that expanded imagination does to transform your life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hell yes. Expanded <laughs> imagination? Hell to right. the yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for NaNoWriMo, I've been playing the six-word writing game on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was one this weekend that was driving me crazy because I had such a great idea, but it was mm-hmm. seven words oh no oh yes and you're only allowed to have six and it was just driving me nuts um and cutting it down took me half an hour (laughs) and it completely changed it like it was nothing near the same thing Mm -hmm. but but it was fun because it was you know something completely different that was still six words but it was the changing of the thing that it 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 didn't matter how it ended up it was the process of trying to keep an idea and change it from seven words to six Oh, yeah. You know? No, I mean, and that is that is so challenging, and it's so fun. But, I mean, I love, like, I, I have a lot of students who work for me, and they write articles for the website, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they'll come in, you know, and they'll give me 600 words, and, you know, some of it is fluff, and some of it, but I'll tell them to cut 200 words out of it. Right. You know, out of a 600-word story, which is a third of that story, you know? And invariably they you know i tell them to do it and they're like i can't i can't you know no and they come back they come back having done it yeah and i'm like do you see what happened here do you see what you did with this and they're like oh my god i see it and they get so excited you know (laughs) but it's it's what you you write something you think well this is what it is i can't cut it down but you can like i did um back cover copy for warner back when it was warner now it's hachette um but uh, I did back cover copy for a bunch of their books, and it always had to be like 175 words. You know, could not be more, could not be less. It had to be like 175. <laughs> you know, you really, I mean, it wasn't quite that, but I mean, you had like a 15 word like variant there that you could work with it. And, um, and so I would go and I'd write the whole thing, and then it would be, you know, always 200, 215 words by the time I was done with it. And I would hack that down. And in the process, I mean, I think I learned more about uh, the value of the hack of just mm-hmm. taking a hatchet to something. In the end, after I'd cut out, you know, such a chunk of what I had done, which at the point where I'd finished it, I was like, no, this is perfect the way that it is, you know. It was so much better. It was so much lighter on its feet. It taught me how to really use every word to its maximum impact, 
you know, and to this day, like what I learned doing back cover marketing copy, you know, for like romance novels and all this kind of stuff. I learned so much about how to express myself efficiently, Mm -hmm. you know, and really directly and clearly. It was an incredible experience doing it. But, you know, so, so like I am a huge, huge fan of the severe edit. You know, mm-hmm. of the like yeah. go in and hack away 30% of that thing, you know? Um, uh, so I, I thought that this was very good. And I'm really glad that she decided to do it and that the, the moral of the story is, you know, cut it down. Yeah, I liked it too. Yeah. And then that took us into It Ain't Your Baby. Right. And mm-hmm. all I wrote was, yeah, it's not a baby. Thank God. It's not a baby. <laughs> hack it up in pieces yeah. and throw 30% yes, away. <laughs> yeah. And, and also my days of babies are done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's and not it's a baby. Not, yeah. And you can't look at it that way. You know, right. I mean, the, the, looking at it as as a child, it just it, it makes it so much more than it really is. You yes. know, it's it's words on a page and you can work with that. And, I, you know, I think it's so important not to be too precious about your work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, take it seriously, you know, treat it seriously. But in the end, it's just something you made and you can make another one. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just something you made. I think that this is so much easier for people who like, uh, you know, create disposable stuff like, like, you know, people who, like chefs, people who cook. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Because it's meant to be temporary. Yes. You know, it's only good for a certain period of time and then yeah. people eat it and it's gone, you know, know. but that's the, ex- but yeah. you gave them the experience, you know, but when you create something that is, is, you know, supposed to be around like a book or a, you know, a statue or a sculpture or something like that, you know, art, um, I think that it becomes so much harder because you just get, you know, obsessed with it and constantly want to work with it. And con- you got to create it, mm-hmm. edit it, and then boom, throw it out the door and then move on to the next one. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. So this brought us to the last two sections that we had picked out for tonight and they kind of go together. Um, so she talked about passion versus curiosity and then devotion to inquisitiveness. Um, and and I, I kind of saw them as connected. So I don't know, do you want to take them one at a time or do you want to kind of combine them or how do you no, want to tackle these? we can these? combine them together. A lot of these actually were very, very short and really kind of went yeah, together anyway. They, they were. were kind of paired up. But, um, but I mean, I love the idea of passion versus curiosity. And again, this is, this is I think, martyr versus trickster. Yeah. You know, that, that when you're like, what is your passion? What is the thing that you love more than anything? What is the thing that you would do, you know, for 15 hours a day, you know, sleep, no food, what is it, you know? Like, that's a tall order. That is a lot to ask, you know, and as opposed to what interests you, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what sparks your curiosity at the moment? What is something you'd like to learn more about? You know, and um, I really liked that. And I liked the way that she reframed that into something that was that wasn't this whole big, you know, operatic scale that was just what are you curious about? I thought so, too. And and I'm a I mean, I'm a very passionate person, but the direction of that passion can change. Like sure. daily. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and some days I have trouble tapping into it. So I did like her advice that passion alone may not always be enough for mm-hmm. your creative spirit. Um, but for me, like passion is about curiosity because I am so freaking endlessly curious about so damn many things. 
Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to run out. Like, it doesn't, I just have to be awake. Like, it's it's never going to stop. And so, but it does help my, you know, my creativity in a lot of ways. But she had this quote on page 237 that, like, it's going on the possible tattoo list. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, She said, curiosity is the truth and the way of creative living. Curiosity is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And I was like, yes, 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 Mm -hmm. yes. (laughs) That was so, (laughs) so right on and so Curiosity is the key. Yes. You know, because curiosity doesn't have like these huge stakes the way that passion does. Right. You know, I mean, passion is just so overwhelming, but curiosity... And curiosity always has that, God, that sense of of satisfaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know that, like you you follow your curiosity, you know, into a space, and then you find something. You know, you'll find something there. It may not be what you thought you were looking for, but you'll always find something. And it's interesting. It's like a treasure hunt. Yeah. You know, like a scavenger hunt. Like curiosity works like that. And um, and I just, I love that reframing. I did You too. know, taking mm-hmm. all the pressure off, taking all the drama out of it. Yeah. And just, you know, is well, there and, anything you're interested in? Yeah. And maybe that is sort of the love for the trickster energy is to get yeah. passionate about your curiosity itself. Sure, exactly. You know, I mean, I'm a very passionate person. Like, I I have found the work that I love. I love what I'm doing. You know, I'm having a great time. I've always um, been able to, like, enjoy whatever work it is that I, I love work. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I just love being at a task of something, you know, um, and finding a way to do it in a way that is, um, is efficient and fun and gets a quality product. And, you know, for me, like breaking that, breaking out how to do a task in, you know, in a really like good, efficient, effective way is always fun for me. Like that's, you know, I always enjoy that. So, I mean, I tend to feel very passionately about work in and of itself, yeah. you know, um, and, and I've always had that, and I've had the flow, you know, the thing where I go into writing a story, writing a book, and I just fall into that space where it's like, you know, five hours have gone by and you think it's 20 minutes. Like, I've always had that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody always has that. Everybody doesn't work the way I work. And that's okay. You know, like, everybody doesn't work the way that anybody else works. And so finding the thing that speaks to you is so much easier if you view it through the lens of curiosity. Absolutely. Instead of this great consuming passion. Yes. I agree you know? completely. So I, I love the way she reframed that. I thought that was perfect. I did too. I thought it was wonderful. All right. Good. All right. So yeah, we had like tipsy topsy roller coaster turvy. This was, there yeah. was a lot in this yeah. part of this book. Like trust is complicated y'all. Yeah, it is. It really is. Trust is not easy. <laughs> All right. Thesis. Trust is hard. Uh, trust, trust is hard, man. <laughs> All right. So what was your aha moment for this? So on page 218, she had this beautiful quote, and she said, mm-hmm. every molecule of my being has always pointed me toward this line of work, toward language, storytelling, research, narrative. If destiny didn't want me to be a writer, I figure it shouldn't have made me one. <laughs> And I just loved that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fantastic. So I will say all this craziness in my brain for language mm-hmm. and storytelling and research and narrative, I'm blaming that on destiny. Absolutely. Damn it. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought it was this great. Is, 
this is what the universe has chosen for you. Yeah. So, you know, not my fault. I'm just going to dance along with it. Absolutely. <laughs> what about you? What was your big idea? Um, uh, you know, I, uh, the curiosity, mm-hmm. just that, that reframing is curiosity being the key to creativity and to learning. Yes. You know, c- curiosity is really the key to everything. Curiosity, yes. the, the question, like, what if, mm-hmm. you know, what would happen if I did this, you know, yeah. or, or what is the answer to that? Like those questions are, are the things that motivate us and that keep us moving, or you know, through question that. I love to get you to ask a lot. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Why not? Right. Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. It is a good question. All right. So what was your challenge? What did you resist? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, so on page 206, um, in the context of creativity and dysfunction, she yes. said, and let's not even get started on the poets. And I was like... Oh, girl, we going to throw down. (laughs) Like, for real. Because, you know, I wrote poetry my whole life pretty much as a compulsion. I mean, I couldn't help it. Like, poems and lyrics would just pour out of me. So I sort of resisted the idea of having this sort of nature that might be, as she described it, addicted to suffering. (laughs) Because, like, the truth is... That's not my personality at all. Right. I, I don't mm-hmm. like brooding. Like, yeah. I don't enjoy great depths of sadness. You mm-hmm. know, if anything, I'm fiercely passionate and a little concerned about the enthusiasm that I have for things. So I think you can write poetry from a joyful place. Sure. Is all mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. Like you can write poetry from heat and from mm-hmm. contentment as well as from drama and darkness. Yeah. And I felt like this section of the book sort of shortchanged the magic of that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, kind of mocking the poets. Yes, and I think that maybe anyone that read this and thought, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't write poetry, should Mm -hmm. read Spades by Jay Raymond, because (laughs) um, if it lights you up the way it lights me up, all I'm saying is I got to page eight and dropped a wine glass. So if anybody wants to read along with me, we can have a discussion, because it's fantastic. (laughs) And I don't see any tormented artist in there. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> so. that's good. I, you know, I we all know how I feel about poetry. I'm yes. not, I'm not a huge fan of I poetry. Know. <laughs> I, I don't like poetry. Poetry makes me horribly uncomfortable. But that said, I don't think the poets are any more, you know, prone to torment than the average creative person. You know, <laughs> who who wants to buy into this tormented artist? You know, nonsense. Which yeah. is which is it's all an affectation. Like, you know, you either are a person that has suffered and are using that for your art or you are a person who is pretending to suffer because you think you need it for your art or whatever, you know? Um, But, but the idea that, you know, the poets are, are any worse on that scale than any other, you know, particular brand of creative. I mean, you know, yeah, I I, I like poets fine. Yeah. Poets are fine. You know, as long (laughs) as they're like sixties beat poets or whatever, like, you know, some of it, some of it I can't stand, but yeah. some of it's, but some of it's good. Which is fine. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. I just was like, really, really, yeah. you, you got to slap the poets, the poets. really, right. yeah, yeah. So, anyway. so, what about you? What was your strong challenge? Oh God, it trust. Yeah, just trust. You know, like I, it, it trust is such a foreign concept to me now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that I just I the idea of trusting anything. Yeah. 
is uh is is something that i i resist at this like this visceral level so that's something i'll be taking to therapy on wednesday you know (laughs) whatever um i'll just bring it right into crystal and be like here's my thing with trust and we'll talk about it and she'll be right about something and it'll annoy me but anyway (laughs) now is that the most generous narrative for your soul (laughs) the narrative that feeds my soul Probably not, but whatever. I'm just, it's, I'm, I'm struggling with trust. I'll get there. I'll figure it out. All right. So what is your action this week? Okay. So I have been laughing at myself like crazy for yeah. not assigning myself NaNoWriMo for homework. Yeah. I have been doing NaNoWriMo and it is right there in front of my face. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my homework is NaNoWriMo. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. See, yeah. that worked out really nicely yeah. for you. I, I did follow a shiny thing last week, which is yes. something I was going to do anyway. Excellent. So you assigned yourself something you're going to do anyway. Exactly. So I think that worked out really well for you. So what about you? What's your, yes, what's your homework this week? Oh, God. I couldn't think of anything, so I said I was going to make you assign me homework. <gasps> oh, I get to do homework? I get to assign you homework? Do you know you how get to assign big I'm smiling right now? Oh, oh. Yay! This makes me so happy. All right, what are you going to make me do? Oh, girl. That is a wide and dangerous door you just opened. (laughs) Okay, I'm thinking. I'm getting scared now. This was just kind of something I did being silly because I couldn't think of anything. No, I just, but like, you know, it's just this beautiful gift was just placed in front of me. All right. I didn't have time to properly plan to torment you. So, okay. (laughs) I think what I would like is for you, brilliant writer that you are, mm-hmm. to write a love letter to you. Oh. And it can be very God. short. <laughs> how much do you hate me right now? You dared me to fucking learn how to sing on this podcast, girl, is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've done nothing for that, by the way. Yeah, me neither. It's okay. That was my shiny thing some four weeks ago, yeah, and now I'm over it. But we have um, until the end of the next book, so it's all good. I have to write uh, a love letter to myself? That's yes. gross. Now, okay. it can be yes. short. Mm-hmm. It can take any form that you like. How about a poem? <laughs> I would fucking love that as long as it's not, you know, like complete sarcasm. Um, oh, yeah. No. Oh, well, it has we'll to be a real love letter. Mm, okay. With an actual generous narrative that feeds your soul. But it can take any form that is authentic to you. All right. <laughs> and I am smiling so big right now. And my heart is full of love and there is big magic in the world. And this is oh fantastic. God. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I could make you that happy while at the same time giving you the opportunity to torment me in the most efficient way possible. Yes, I mean, that is in fact the perfect definition of happiness for me. Of course it is. All right, great. So while we uh, contemplate what the hell I'm going to do with that, uh, let's move into the closing quote for this week, which comes to us from Arnold Edinburgh. Curiosity is the very basis of education. And if you tell me that curiosity killed the cat, I say only the cat died nobly. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.